So as you might have noticed, we're in 1 Timothy today. Craig and Paula had not told me what they were doing for their drama. So I was as surprised as you, but nice job. That was, that was good. Um, certainly it, it can be a challenge sometimes, but uh, it's good to know we, we stand on the Word of God and on what it says. And um, this has been a... There, there are some challenging sections here in 1 Timothy, but also very rewarding, I, I think. And um, some of it is the sort of thing that we need to have that foundation laid to be established um, for the long term. It doesn't always necessarily scratch right where it itches that particular week, perhaps for everyone. But these are important things that we need to be uh, grounded in. So we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and uh, focus on verses 14 through 16 today. Verses 14 to 16. Uh, Paul says there, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. God, I thank you for the word that you have given to us that has been preserved and uh, speaks life to us today. And I ask that as we open it, uh, you would speak to our hearts. Um, help us to see clearly uh, the life that is here, the life that is from you. And may that life um, well up within our hearts as we live by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. There's an old hymn that sums up this passage, uh, I think, pretty well, uh, called The Church is One Foundation. Some of you might remember it. It says, The church is one foundation, is Jesus Christ her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. And Paul is laying down for us in this passage a definition for the church to help us understand what the church is. And up to this point, he's been very um, focused on, on details, practical things, uh, instructions about worship and, and leadership qualifications. Uh, but now he's presenting uh, some real theological truths, some foundational principles. So in chapters two and the, most of chapter three, it was kind of like ground level operation. But now he's he's launching us into the stratosphere of theology and, 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 and truth. And verse 14 gives us that link. It says, I hope to come to you soon. But I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know that know how one ought to behave in the household of God. So Paul is 
um, showing us the real world setting of this letter. It's happening within daily life, daily experience. Paul lives in the midst of everyday challenges and he wants to visit Ephesus. He wants to see Timothy. He wants to know what's going on there, but he realizes something might get in the way. He doesn't tell us what. Maybe there's going to be bad weather. Maybe it's an illness. Maybe there's political upheaval. Uh, maybe it's, it's just a lack of finances. He can't afford to travel. We're not sure what the delay might be, but it just is good to remember that he's facing real-life challenges every day, just like we do. Things he doesn't know about. Unexpected circumstances. And so the challenges of life that flood our daily experience are also the things that flooded Paul's experience. And this letter then comes out of that reality of everyday life. But what holds him together is the confidence he has in these eternal truths about God, who God is, and what God has done. And so he's, he's talking about some really important um, theological truths here that we need to understand. He's, he's referring to the church. Now, that Greek word for church is ekklesia, which literally means the called out ones. Or it's sometimes the ones who, who gather together, who are called out together to, to, to worship God, to be the people of God. And did you know there's an entire branch of theology devoted to the study of the church? We call it ecclesiology. That won't be on the test. But we get it from that word ecclesia. We study the church. We call it ecclesiology. And it's a, it's a branch of theology that needs more attention today. It may not sound real exciting to our ears. It doesn't necessarily speak to an immediate felt need, but it's foundational to God's plan and purpose for the world. And so before we go any further, I want to clarify what we mean when we talk about the ecclesia, the called out ones, the church. Because I think we need to understand there are two different ways for us to think about a church or the church. Because first we might refer to the church universal. That is the church all around the world and all across time. So this includes many churches that we see up and down our streets, across our city, around the world. And together as one, we are the church. We need to understand that. We need to see that. And there are certainly ways in which we differ and have different uh, styles or some differences in terms of certain distinctives, certain different histories. But we share as the body of Christ, as the church. But then there's also this concept of the local church. That is the specific community of people who come together, who gather to worship, who fellowship, who know one another, who are defined by a set of, of, of leaders and, and a certain strategy and vision and, and organization. And um, for us here, this is what we call the Holland Free Methodist Church. We have a defined set of leaders and, and a specific mission, and we share life together. In fact, it's not just life. It's supernatural life. We believe that God is present among us. And when the Bible talks about the church, 
Sometimes it's referring to this idea of the universal reality of, of, of God's people, the, the church, the body of Christ uh, across space and time. And, and oftentimes, though, it's speaking about the singular local church. And in other words, the local church is really the heart the center, the place where the living God meets the people of God. And there wouldn't be a church universal without local churches, just like this one. And when we think then about what it means to understand the church and to study the church and to think about God working through the church, I think our very best picture and way to see it is to see this, each other, here, in this place, at this time, among these people. And you say, boy, we are not always doing the best job. We're frail. We're weak. We get frustrated. We can see all the ways in which we, we didn't quite measure up to the expectations that we had or the standards that we had hoped for. And yet that is how God works through churches just like us. So the time that we have... I want us to see three truths from this passage regarding the nature of this church. This church we call the Holland Free Methodist Church, and which applies to all of God's churches around the world. Three foundation stones, three basic building blocks essential to our life and to our community together. And the first is this, that the church is a family. The church is a family described here by Timothy as the household of God. It's the household of God. Secondly, the church is made alive by God. The church is made alive by God. Described here as the church of the living God. The church of the living God. And then third, the church is a foundation for truth. The church, us, is a foundation for the truth. It's described as a pillar and a buttress of the truth in the way Paul presents it here. So if you are questioning whether or not the local church is important, please hear this out. If you think the church is out of date or out of step, I'm just going to ask you to listen and try to understand. If you're looking for something else because the church is boring you, it's not Scratching where it itches. Don't give up yet. Don't give up. And if you're frustrated with some of the people in the church or you're feeling out of place here, I just want you to open your ears and your heart for the next 20 minutes to think about what the church means and is. So first, the church is a family. The church is a family. Verse 15, Paul refers to the church as the household of God. He says, if I delay, you may know that how one ought to behave in the household of God. So last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the behavior things. And that's probably what uh, our drama was referring to, some of those meddling issues. But in some ways, I'm going to meddle even in this. Because we need to understand that the church is a family. And that's important in a number of ways. We're not the, the house of God in the sense that we're just this building that sits here at 6605 Angola Road. We are the household that is the family, the people of God. So that means a couple of things. Number one, the church is a family, not a club. 
We're a family. We are not a club. You know, clubs can, can be great things. We've got the Christian Life Club for kids and the, the, the Now and Later Bible Club. And that's cool. I don't want to disparage the word at all. But a club is a group that, of people that come together for a shared purpose. And a church, as a local church, is not a club. There are all kinds of clubs in the world. Great clubs. But 99.9% .9 of them are not something that I'm going to be in or be interested in. I mean, there are kennel clubs for people who like dogs. There are quilting clubs for people who like the quilt. There are Jeep clubs for people who are really into their Jeeps. But I would be bored at all of these meetings. I would not want to pay dues to be a part of one of these clubs. These aren't my things. And you know what? A lot of people view the church as just a club. They see it as people who talk about Jesus, who get together once a week to sing some songs and have a cool band. Maybe it's the club where you volunteer to serve in your community or go on a mission trip. Some people become members of that club. Some give money. Some serve on committees and attend special banquets, do the things that club members do. You know, I, I, I attend a meeting every every other month down at the Toledo Club. And uh, the only reason I'm there is because the guy who chairs the committee is a, like a lifetime member and he gets access to one of the boardrooms and he's like, hey, let's just meet there. Okay, cool. But boy, whenever I walk into the Toledo Club, I feel important. I mean, uh, you, you, you walk in there and you realize that, that, that things happen here. Uh, people network. They enjoy fancy meals. They celebrate weddings. You can admire the woodwork and the artwork and maybe connect with people who are doing things in the community. All admirable things. But when I go there to the Tulo Club, I always feel like I'm entering the game of Clue. I'm never quite sure if I'm properly attired. I mean, I sometimes wonder if there's a secret handshake that I need to know. And I think that's how a lot of people feel when they walk into a church. What are the club rules? Do I fit the profile? Do I belong here or not? Because clubs by their nature are exclusive and the exclusions are based on factors that a person may or may not have control over. I mean, some clubs, you gotta be a man, or you gotta be a woman, or maybe you've gotta be a part of a certain profession, or you have to have attended a certain school, or achieved a certain rank. Go to an airport and try to just walk into the Admiral's Club lounge without a first-class ticket. But you know, the church is a family, not a club, because the way we get in is not to be by status or by wealth or by education or just even by, you know, I've got an interest in what these things are going on there. The Bible describes a very different way of entry. According to the Bible, we enter the church through adoption, through new birth. And think about those words. We enter as a family, and that's really significant. And that's because, first of all, the church then is open to everyone. It's not exclusive. Everyone is invited. Everyone is welcome. And second, the strength of the bond is, is, is like a family, not a club. 
It's a lifetime commitment. And as with a family, the individual is not in control. We don't establish the terms. We don't just come in and go. It involves a whole new identification. And then being part of this family instead of a club means we are adopted as a son or as a daughter of God. And that makes us, according to Romans 8, 17, heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. So we come into this great inheritance, blessed with heavenly blessing. As part of God's family, we share in that inheritance and we come into this great heritage and we connect with the church, not only here, but across space and across time. The cloud of witnesses that have gone before us and will continue after us. So think about this bond with the church that we have through adoption, through, through uh, being born again, through new life in Him. This is the family of God that we enter into. It's more than just subscribing to the Wednesday update and seeing it in your inbox each week. It's, it's more than showing up once or twice to hear a sermon. It's not just having a place to go to, to, to have a wedding. We are the household of God, and you are invited into that house. So the church is a family, and it's not a club. It's not a corporation. This should be emphasized, too, these days. We're not a corporation anymore. A corporation exists to fulfill a mission. And in the business world, the mission of a corporation is to increase profits. Corporation promotes top talent and places a premium on effectiveness, efficiency, improvement, success. A corporation is clearly defined strategies and systems tweaked for optimal performance and if I'm looking for a good way to invest money or if I'm looking for a, a, a place to step into a career, you, you certainly want to find a well-run business. You don't want to work for a company that's inefficient or unprofitable or has a bad reputation. And certainly good companies do more than just make profits. They should build into the lives of their employees. They should help their communities. They should genuinely care about the well-being of their customer. But in the end... It's about the bottom line for a corporation. You know, even Chick-fil-A exists to sell more chicken. And the lady at the drive-thru might ask you how you're doing. And she might look like she means it. But if you start opening up too much, you're going to hold up the line. And, 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 you know, that's just the way a corporation is. But as a church, we are very different. I remember attending a conference one time years ago out at Willow Creek uh, in Chicago, and they had all the biggest names in the evangelical world. All the celebrities were there, and there were thousands and thousands of people. It was so disorienting for me to, to go into this place, to have to find this parking spot, and to be herded like cattle through these lines into the auditorium. And then when lunch came, they herded us like cattle through switchbacks. You thought you were in the TSA line at O'Hare Airport, but no, this is just a church. And efficiency celebrity technology and it fits the corporate model but the church is a family we are the household of god and as a household we function differently and as a household we don't number people we don't have an audience we aren't performers there's no stage there's no tickets the church is a family 
And that's important. Paul emphasizes that there. We are the household of God. Number two, he says the church is made alive by God. He says, if I delay, you may know that how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. The living God. As the church, the life in us comes from the living God. Notice what Paul isn't saying here. He isn't telling us what to do. He is telling us who we are. The distinction is critical. So I'm going to say it again. Our life comes from God, not from us. We don't generate the life. We receive the life. We aren't told what to do. We're told who we are. This means we don't work to prove that we're a church with a living God. We are the church of the living God. As long as we are built on the foundation, that is the truth. That is Jesus Christ, which he's going to describe here in the remainder of this passage. But I emphasize this now because there's a temptation to want to manufacture this life in order to convince ourselves and others that it's real. And to that end, we begin to manipulate emotions. We try to create an atmosphere. We manufacture an experience. And this takes us off course. So I just want to explain it this way. Human beings, it's our nature as human beings to manipulate. We are master manipulators. Sorry to break it to you. But we, we, we just come with this innate ability. Um, we manipulate ourselves. We manipulate others more than we want to admit it or acknowledge it. Now add to this another element of human nature, which is our strong hunger for religious experience. We want to experience the divine. We want to know that God is living and active and near us. We, we want others to believe that God is living and active in us. So it shouldn't surprise us when some people catch on and put these two things together. The art of manipulation plus the hunger for religious experience. We become especially vulnerable to this when we're conditioned to not doubt something that might be from God. We don't want to question something that, that God might be doing, so we, we, we are hesitant at times to catch the manipulation. But let's just pull back the curtain and see the obvious. I don't need to list any examples. You don't need any illustrations. All we need to understand are the premises here that lead to a clear conclusion. Number one, our nature is to manipulate. Number two, our nature is to hunger for religious experience. So number three, we're fearful about doubting things that might come from God. So we're less questioning than we should be, which comes together to simply, I think, explain to us the fact that we are in great danger of trying to manufacture a living experience that's not living in the life of God. There's confusion, there's frustration, there's division, there's often complete disillusionment that comes as a result. When it comes to discerning the presence of the living God, we must be more careful, not less. We don't need wishful thinking to experience the living God. We don't have to close our eyes and try real hard in order to know that God is there. We certainly don't have to get the lights adjusted right or the music loud enough or have just the right technique to be confident that God is living and with us. What do we need? What does Paul tell us we need? 
Oh, he doesn't tell us that we need to do anything. We rest in the promise of God. That we are part of the family of God. That the living God is here with us. We don't have to try hard and harder and harder to prove it. We don't need to show it off. We don't need to generate an experience. We simply are the church of the living God as we are built on the foundation, the pillar and the buttress of the truth, which is Jesus Christ. And that's the third thing we're going to look at here. The church is a foundation for truth. He says, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So as a household of the living God, it's imperative that everything rests on Jesus. The, the, the church of the living God is described as this, this pillar, this buttress. Some translations call it the support, the base, the ground, the foundation. But it all relates to this truth, the mystery of godliness. He says, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Do you believe it's a mystery? It's a mystery revealed. It's a mystery revealed in Jesus. And that's who he describes here. These verses that follow, um, in some ways, are like an ancient hymn. Maybe we, we sang the, the oldies today. Well, this is a really old oldie. This was probably a hymn or at least a very early creed describing Jesus. And he says, He was manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. He took on humanity. He was born as a baby. He uh, authenticated that by his miraculous signs, the greatest of which was his resurrection from the dead. He ascends uh, unto the heavenly realms where he is seen by the angels. He commissions his disciples to go out into the world to proclaim the good news to all people everywhere. And the people listen, they respond, they turn in faith. The church is established around the world and he is taken up into glory. He is exalted above all. People listen, they respond and turn as Paul describes it in Philippians chapter 2. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is the foundation we stand on. That is the pillar and buttress of the truth. We don't need to manufacture this experience or create this appearance. We rest in this truth. That is the church. That is Holland Free Methodist. Us, as messy as it can be sometimes, as beautiful as God makes it. Now, for some of you, your experience of being a part of a family has been mostly painful. So this idea that we're now a, a family of God, it could be hard for you to uh, associate with or understand. And maybe you've been abused or neglected or abandoned. And so your idea of the family is just confused and, and, and you struggle. And yet the family is essential. It's how God made us. 
He made us to belong. He made us to connect. He made us to be sons and daughters. And that's why he gives us the church to redeem and to make whole. And so may this be a place of healing for you. May this be that second chance to know what a family is built on the foundation that is the truth of Jesus as we are the household of God. Gracious Lord, I thank you for what you've revealed to us. I thank you for being the living presence in us and among us. God, I thank you that we can rest in that truth. I pray that as a church, we will be your witness, your example to the world of truth, your truth revealed in Jesus. In his name I pray, amen.